feeling it. And we sensed it. And we're thankful for it. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 34 and verse 7 will be the focus of our attention. Psalm 34 and verse 7. Familiar passage. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have seen and heard and felt the fingerprints and the breath of your presence on our worship already. And we pray that it would blow even stronger in this upper room so that we would leave this place like they did on Pentecost, filled with your Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Diane and I, we're not just a dad and a mom, but now we're a papa and a Grammy. And one benefit is to dust off old videos and show them to little grandsons like last weekend. And we saw a little house on the prairie and Michael Landon. I recommend these things highly in this darkened generation of cinematography. Think with me. Laura Ingalls Wilder recounts in one of her books describing a pioneer settler's life on the Western Plains during the late 1800s. One chapter describes the foreboding threat of an impending Native American uprising. The lone family living in a solitary cabin far out in unsettled territory had heard from a traveler about rising hostilities between the surrounding tribes and the government, and there were suggestions of possible massacres coming. And a few days later, they began those drumbeats. Late one night, they started while the family, Pa and Ma and the three girls, were gathered around the dinner table, and then they pounded, the drums did, throughout the night. And when Pa awoke before dawn from an uneasy sleep, They continued to pound. Pa's heart was full of dread and apprehension for himself and for his family, and he wondered what in the world this day would bring forth. He'd look out the windows. He'd see nothing, but he'd sense on all sides the dull and unfriendly rhythmic pounding, the pounding, the pounding. Now, at certain seasons of his life, a child of God may pillow his head at night or awaken before dawn and be overwhelmed with a sense of foreboding dread regarding what the coming days might bring forth. And sometimes the drumbeats of a hostile world seem to be beating all around us. There are troubles at work. There are difficulties at school. There's disharmony in the family, there are trials at church, there are problems with help, health, there's an upsurge in temptations, there's an erosion in confidence, and anxiety can be closing in, the pounding, the pounding, 
pounding. And so the Christian can sometimes say, Lord, I, I just can't handle these pounding drums. Anybody but me been there hearing those poundings? And when that's the case, what is a child of God to do? I'll tell you what we're to do. We're to run to the strong tower of God's promises. And that's what we have here in this passage, because David, who heard the pounding, he refers to a very blessed promise, just encapsulated here, the angel of the Lord, Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. This morning, we just want to expound this promise by asking of it four questions. There'll be four main headings this morning. Consider the first question, and that is this. What circumstances triggered this promise? Well, the best clue here is in the psalm's title. Look what it says there. A psalm of David, when he feigned or pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. This is an account that comes historically from 1 Samuel 21. In fact, you can turn there with me. I'll just read the historical backdrop. 21.10 of this little psalm, 34, that David penned. What was in David's mind? What was he going through? 21.10 of 1 Samuel says, When David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish king of Gath, because Saul was stalking him. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands? And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down onto his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this come into my house? So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when he and his brothers and his family heard of it, they went down to him there. That's the backdrop of this. At this time, when, when David's fortunes had never been lower, remember how he had to flee from the house of jealous Saul. There was a bounty on his head. He was considered to be a traitor to the crown. He, he was in such desperation that it says in 21.3 of 1 Samuel that he had to beg bread from the priests at Nob. Uh, David was, at this time in life, having left by night because they were hunting him down. He had to go under cover of darkness without any bodyguard. He had to find refuge somewhere. He was so desperate, he actually went to the Philistines for help. The, the, the nearest city was Gath. But Gath, David, come on. But it's, but it's the closest place, David would say. But that was the hometown of Goliath. And David had slain Gath's favorite son. David, Gath, on the gates is a skull and crossbone for you. You're doomed there. Well, David went into the city seemingly disguised with an outfit of anonymity, trying to be secret. 
But his disguise was seen through, and the people of Gath brought reports to King Abimelech and said, King, our, our arch enemy is in our midst. He hates our nation. He's the one about whom, you know, they're saying Saul has slain his thousands, but David, he's with us. This is the one who's slain his tens of thousands. King, David is in our walls, and he's all alone. He's trapped. He's a netted bird. Let's put the hammer down on him, O King Abimelech. And this was going on in the throne room, but David in the town saw the looks of people staring at him and heard people whispering about him. And so David sensed in his emotions the pounding, the drumbeats, the danger. And so he trembled. And in horror, David hatched an idea. He's a creative fellow. David's a poet. And his idea was, I know, I'll pretend to be a derelict. I'll pretend to be an insane idiot. I'll act like a coyote howling at the moon. And so he, he let drooling come out of his mouth, foaming like a dog. And then he added even some flair, because like I said, David was creative. He, he, he scribbled graffiti on the walls as if he was possessed by a strange spirit. And David even put some mustard on this. He probably made some loud shouting in the streets. Maybe his eyes, he made them roll in front of people who would meet him. Now, as Abimelech would take a look at this fellow brought into his presence, and he would hardly think this would be the behavior of someone who was actually the hero of Israel, who defeated Goliath. This is, but this is him, O king. This is David. But Achish concludes that this is a case of misidentity. A mighty man like David would never stoop so low. Get him out of here. So they probably grabbed him, maybe six of them, pulled David up, took him through the streets, out the gates, and tossed him in a pile of dust, and David fell in a heap, and they were gone, and he was alone, and he felt himself. No bones of mine are broken. There's no blood pouring out. I've been strangely spared, and out there in the wilderness, he, he got up, and he began to walk, and he began to skip, and he began to run for Samuel 21 all the way, 22, all the way to the cave of Adullam. Where there in that dark mountainous place, David was able to meditate on the angel of the Lord who had been with him. And how he had been protected. And look at the psalm that he wrote. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exult in his name altogether. I sought the Lord <laughs> and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried to the Lord and he heard him. And saved him out of all of his troubles. Here's our text now, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him 
and he rescues them. You see, in his rearview mirror, writing this psalm, though he was a solitary fugitive hiding in the cleft of a rock, all alone, because the mighty men from Israel hadn't yet come to rally with him there. He was all alone at this time. But he sees himself as never more secure and safe because surrounding him is an invincible bodyguard. It's the angel of the Lord who's protecting him. So, so that's what circumstances triggered this promise. Now, let me secondly afford to who is this angel of the Lord? Our second question. Who, who is this angel of the Lord? Now, there are two basic views. The first view is the angel of the Lord here. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Some say, well, this is the collective unit of the angels of heaven. Some say, yes, this is referring to the uncountable hosts of heaven, the angelic legion seen as a crack unit. They're spoken of oftentimes as a, as a single body, the angel of the Lord. It's kind of like uh, you, you watch a basketball game and there are 15,000 fans in the stands, but they're called the sixth man. This, you're surrounded by, if you're five little guys in a court and you're in trouble, the sixth man, the 15,000 are there with you, cheering you on. They'll take care of you. That's why there's this home court advantage. Well, likewise, some say, yes, the angel of the Lord is like the sixth man of the Christian. This vast body of protectors, the angel of the Lord, surrounds all those who fear God. In fact, you see in 2 Kings 6, 17, that, that young boy who's trembling on Dothan as he sees the enemies of Israel coming against him. And Elisha says, open his eyes, O Lord, open his eyes. And the little boy sees what? Chariots and horses of fire surrounding him. It's a home game for him. And he has nothing to fear because the angel of the Lord is present. Same truth is there in Psalm 91.11 where it says, He will give his angels charge over you, concerning you, that they will bear you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Those, those angels, that's the angel of the Lord, the unit of Christ's legions in heaven. In fact, it even says in Hebrews 1, 1.14, are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The point is, for us, wherever we are, Christian, it's always a home game for us. We're always in safe territory. Now, this is a viable interpretation, for certainly the children of God are the beneficiaries of untold angelic assistance. We can bank that truth because it's a reality. Yet, I don't think that's the plain meaning of the passage. So we're looking at who is the angel of the Lord. Some say the collective angels of heaven. I think the proper interpretation is this is the individual angel of the Lord. Scriptures speak of one who in the most glorious sense is the angel of the Lord. This is the one individual on whom God sets his own name. The angel 
of Yahweh. And this individual stature towers above all the ranks of all the angels. In fact, we, we, we see him. They're, they're footprints of this angel of the Lord all throughout the Old Testament. Genesis 22, 11, when, when Abraham was on Mount Moriah and he's got to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and he's in the backswing about to bring the dagger into the ribcage. There's that angel of the Lord who appears and stops him in the stretch. And he says, Abraham, I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The angel says, I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. And then later on in verse 16, it speaks of, I by myself have sworn. Wait a minute. The angel swearing by himself? It's, who, who is this? Is this God or is this the angel of the Lord? The answer, yes and yes. The angel of the Lord strikingly is presented as God himself. You see, mysteriously and solemnly in the Old Testament even, there was this close association and identification between the angel of the Lord and God himself. Look in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord is a person who is shadowed in following Abraham. Wherever Abraham goes, then wherever Jacob goes, the angel of the Lord follows. Like, like before Jacob dies in Genesis 48, 15, he says, God has been my shepherd. And he says in a few phrases later, for the angel of the Lord has kept me from all evil. Well, who is it? God or the angel of the Lord? Yes, and yes, has kept me from all evil. Or the angel of the Lord appears to Jacob in 31.11 of Genesis, and the angel says, I am the God of Bethel. What? I thought you were the angel of the Lord. Yeah, and I am the God of Bethel. Or in 32.24 and following, it speaks about Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and then it says, right there by the book, Brook Jabbok, he not only wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and there he saw the face of God. He saw God face to face. The angel of the Lord is God himself. Again, there's this mysterious and solemn association with Jehovah himself and the angel of the Lord. Or, or think of Joshua. Joshua 5. Just within the shadow of the walls of Jericho, those impending walls. There in 5.13 and following, the captain of the Lord of hosts appears with his sword. It's a bodily figure. And what does Joshua do? He falls on the face before him in worship saying, my Lord. Now if this would have been an angel, what would an angel do? Revelation 1, the angel who stood before John when John fell down. John, the angel said to John, don't do it. I'm just an angel. I'm just a servant. But in this case, when Joshua fell before the captain, there was no spurning or rebuking. That's the place you ought to be. Before this angel of the Lord, he's to be worshipped. This is God himself who is appearing to Joshua. I admit, in studying this idea of the angel of the Lord, you, we, we all have our castles of theology and doctrine, which says, yes, Jesus 
appeared for the first time in Bethlehem in the manger. Well, this meditation just takes a cannonball blast right into my castle of established doctrine. And I look inside and I see footprints of a character in the Old Testament who's left evidence of himself before Bethlehem. For I believe the angel Lord appeared not in in Bethlehem for the first time, but I believe he actually appeared in Eden itself. So what's the identity of this mysterious one? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them? I think the best conclusion is, listen now, this is a pre-incarnate revelation of the second person of the Trinity. Repeat, a pre-incarnate revelation of the second person of the Trinity. You want to read more? Go read Gerhardus Voss's Biblical Theology. And then read a book by two pastors in the Reformed Baptist Network, Doug Van Dorn and Matt Foreman, their book called The Angel of the Lord. You'll never read your Old Testament the same again. Thinking about this being the angel of the Lord. You see, this is a very mysterious manifestation, sometimes in bodily form, where we can see Christ's activity among his beloved people prior to the Incarnation. There's that wonderful passage in Zechariah 3. We see Joshua the high priest is standing before God in judgment and the devil is rebuking him. The devil is accusing him, accusing him. And the angel of the Lord appears and says, The Lord rebuke you. Is this man not a burning stick snatched from the fire? That's a forecast of when I stand before God and Jesus will stand there. And he will be my, my advocate. What other hope do I have but the angel of the Lord, my Lord Jesus Christ, snatching me as a burning stick from the fire. And then the passage says in Zechariah 3, and he puts festal robes on him. Christ has taken our filthy rags and he's robed us with white wedding garment, righteousness. Well, this is the angel of the Lord that is being spoken about here. He is the one who describes himself as the, I said, Joshua saw, Joshua 5, I am the captain of God's hosts. You know, Jesus describes himself that very same way in Matthew 25, 31. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and with all his angels with them. He's going to come as that white rider with King of kings and Lord of lords emblazoned on his thigh. And all the hosts of heaven will be with him. And he will have a sword coming out of his mouth. And will slay all who oppose him. You see, who is this angel of the Lord? He is the almighty son of God. It is he who encamps around those who fear him. Always. It's always a home game. Because doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, And lo, I am with you, child of God. I'm leaving you now. I'm going to heaven. But no, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You peek out out your cave. He's there always. Lo, I am with you. So, So what circumstance had triggered this promise? We've seen that. Secondly, who is this angel of the Lord? It's Jesus. Consider thirdly by way of question. How is he described as helping us? 
Well, it says he encamps around us. Now, this is a metaphor of, of great force and beauty because it can, it can swell the fragile sinner's boldness. Sometimes our, our faith is so weak like a spider's thread, but you meditate on this, it becomes like a steel cable in times of difficulty. Look, the text says, He, the angel of the Lord, encamps around those who fear him. The word encamps is the Greek word, excuse me, the Hebrew word hane, which means to, to curve or to bend. Let's say that this microphone was a candle. And I wanted, if there's a wind, what would I do? I'd curve or bend my hands, wouldn't I? To keep it safe so that it doesn't extinguish. And so... It, the same word is also referring to a circular layout at a camp for protection. If there is a king who beds down for the night, his soldiers will, in a circular way, curve themselves around him to keep him safe, to, to keep someone safe from maybe enemies or wolves. A man named Thevano writes this. He observed... Uh, nearly two centuries ago, near Cairo, an Arab prince who was resting from travel. Listen to the quote from the historian. He says, Round the outside of his tent, within a pistol shot, there were above 200 tents pitched in such a manner that the doors of each tent looked toward the prince's tent. And Ever it is so that they may have their eyes always upon their master's lodging and be in readiness to assist him if he be attacked. Like I was safe that night. Now sure, we could understand that kind of safety for an Arab prince and that kind of attention and focus, but that kind of safety for, for me? A, a hell-deserving sinner? For, for me, an orphan, homeless because of my sin, a fugitive running from the wrath of a holy God, me, protected by the angel of the Lord? Yeah, that's what's promised to us when we hear those poundings in our head. Because such a garrison and so much more is the angel of the Lord to his dear ones. Just like when Israel, remember they camped out? on the waterfront, on the Red Sea, and Egypt, and those chariots were coming to mow them down. And who was it who camped, curved around them, up against the shore of the Red Sea? It was the angel of the Lord, fire by night, that kept them. There was a force shield around them so that they couldn't lay a finger on them. So, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Children of God who hear pounding wherever we are. If we're in Michigan, or if we're a soldier in Afghanistan, or if we're somebody really sick on a hospital bed, listen, his sovereign care, as Spurgeon would say, is around us there. And no harm, no foe can ever break through those ranks. He has vigilant watch care over us. We are the apple of his eye. Right there, right? 
the big superorbital ridges we have that protect the eye, some bigger than others. And then we have this, the curtain of the eyelid that, you ever try to put your finger in your eye? Oh, there, there are all kinds of reflexes that fight against it. Those, those eyelashes that come down like bars to keep the apple. We are safer than the apple of our eye because we are precious to the Lord. And though all hell would lay siege against our souls, we are surrounded by the unscalable, impenetrable walls of this bodyguard. The angel of the Lord encamps around us in Michigan, in Afghanistan, on the hospital bed. We're safe and secure. Alexander McLaren says this, David's faith, as he writes that psalm all alone there up at Adullam, David's faith sees the same defense circling his weakness. And though sense saw no protection, his opened eyes of faith beheld the mountains full of chariots of fire and the flashing armor and light in the darkness of his cave. Oh, fellow fretting child, brother, sister, who hears pounding. We're, we're huddled in a cave, maybe. Maybe you're in, a, in, in some solitary cabin somewhere, and you've got these foreboding drumbeats of personal troubles. I'm just saying, take up the binoculars of this passage, get out of your cave, and look what you see surrounding you wherever you you are. Look, the angel of the Lord encamps around. Believe this truth. Scriptures enable us to see things unseen. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Just look, look, get out of there. Look. And you, you can see tents, white tents, as far as the eyes can see in every direction. The captain and his hosts are. With us, we see it through the eye of faith encircling our precious souls. So, we've seen what circumstances triggered this promise. And who is this angel of the Lord? And how is he described as helping us? But now just fourthly and finally, before we go home. When is this promise useful to us? Can you think of any occasion? Well... I think we can say always and in every occasion and circumstance. Because this, this armor of the angel of the Lord encamping around us fits every God-fearing man and woman every hour. It's like an armor of, of bold invincibility. And by faith we can strap it on. And we can wear it. And we can walk out in this wolf infested, lion-prowling world, bolder than a lion in Christ Jesus. Just think of some times when it's useful. Let me give a few. How about, uh, how about in times of suffering? In times of suffering, think of a Christian woman, and she's diagnosed with advanced stage cancer, and she's just begun what the doctor projects to be a year-long series of chemotherapy injections. I think of a woman who lived in our neighborhood. Her name is Lola. Wonderful woman. And she had these, these three granddaughters who live right next door. And I know, just think of Lola, how maybe the, the Wednesday after the first Monday treatment, 
And her nausea is so intense, and her vomiting and her heaving is so painful, she just wants to curl up, just wants to die. Might as well, because I'm old enough. I've lived long enough. Then she looks out the window on the swing set. She sees these three lovely granddaughter girls that she has, and she thinks, but God may yet have a purpose for me to live They need a grandma. And the thought of going through this for one more year, Lord, I just don't think I can hold up the pounding, the pounding in her head. But then the eyes of faith look beyond the swing set. And she sees there those radiant tents of Christ's promise presence. And she thinks to herself in her nausea, it is well with my soul. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Somehow, in some strange way, he's causing all things to work for the good. And Lola lived about nine years after that. And God used her to do great good. Spurgeon says this. You know, Spurgeon himself had much affliction in his life. He suffered gout, these arthritic attacks that would make his joints full of fire. Spurgeon writes this. I bear my witness that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this world for which I would bless him more than for anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I am sure that in these things the richest, tenderest love has been manifested to me. Our father's wagons rumble most heavily when they are bringing to us the richest freight of the bouillon of grace. He's referring to how when Jacob thought that Joseph's dying at the hands of a wild beast would cause his gray head to go down in sorrows. All the pounding, the pounding, the pounding in Jacob's life. My son is gone. But then came the wagons from Egypt, remember? bringing all these provisions and promises. That's what he's saying. Sometimes those wagons, we hear the pounding and we think it's going to be harm brought to us. Oh, God is bringing us good, causing all things to work for our good. Spurgeon goes on to say this. The cloud that is black with horror is big with mercy. Fear not the storm then, Christian. It brings healing in its wings. And when Jesus is with you in the boat, the storm only hastens the ship to its desired haven. So when is this promise useful to us? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him in times of suffering. But consider secondly, how about in times of temptation? In times of temptation, think of a man who reaches a certain stretch in life. Maybe he's a student in a college dorm. Maybe he's a soldier who's stationed in Poland seeking to maybe spare uh, Ukraine or maybe he's just a widower and he thinks to himself you know every every night when I encamp my soul and lie down on my pillow I'm raided by a whole harem of impure thoughts and ungodly seducing and tempting Sirens, it seems to me as if Satan himself 
is sifting my soul in this area to cause me to be impure in my life. Am I alone now? Oh, no, 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 no. The angel of the Lord encamps around you in that dorm room, in that battalion barracks in Poland, or in that widower's apartment. The angel of the Lord encamps around you. And doesn't he say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And to think about being in that barracks or being in that dorm room or being in that apartment all by yourself, Jesus at that moment is speaking your name, my name, before the throne of God in heaven. And if we could hear him speaking our name before the throne, would we ever be afraid of anything? Be assured, binoculars of this passage, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So the passage says, it says, this poor man cried to the Lord and he heard him. That's 34.6 and saved him out of all his trouble. So if you're, if you're in one of those apartments or barracks or dorm rooms, cry out to the Lord. Just cry out to the Lord. He will hear. He will come. He will help in times of temptation. But how about in times of stress? In times of stress, Maybe, maybe the loss of a job and then the loss of plans for the future lie shattered on the floor right in front of you there. But the bills and the expenses keep pouring in. But you know, somehow you've got to press forward. You've got to somehow find a way to knock on doors. You're so insecure, but you've got to seek out new employment because your family needs it. But me knock on doors, sit in front of an HR man, sit in front of a CEO and tell him why he should hire me? My confidence lies shattered as well on the floor. It's just so hard for me just even to get out of bed, let alone go storm potential employers' offices to tell them I should work for them. How is this trembling lamb? I feel like a lamb, a lamb to be slaughtered. And I've got to face hyenas at every Zoom meeting that I have. What am I supposed to do? Strap on this promise. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And, and this can make you as bold as a lion. We can feel overwhelmed with the demands at work, can't we? Overwhelmed in the home. Maybe how, how about overwhelmed with the demands of mothering multiple children? How about that one? How, how can I do this? How can I continue on? I just don't have the energy for it, Lord. Pounding, pounding in my head. Drum beats. I have this foreboding fear of my own inadequacy. Like on Little House in the Prairie. What's a day going to bring forth? I tremble in fear. I'm, I'm like David. I feel like Lord, I'm cornered in gath. Okay, remember that the captain of the Lord of hosts is near you. Me, there. Remember how Joshua had inferiority when he was facing the walls of Jericho? And the Lord appeared to him, yeah, as a captain, Lord of hosts with a sword, big, enormous. But even in the first chapter, 
The Lord said to Joshua, who was quaking and trembling with his own sense of inferiority, I'm no Moses. You've called me to lead these people. I'm just Joshua. That's all I am. One five of Joshua. I will be with you, Joshua. I will not forsake you. Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so Joshua, Ecclesiastes 9, whatever your hand finds to do, get out there and do it with all your might. What you got to be afraid of? I'm right behind you, in front of you, on every side of you. March forward toward your duties. Because such who trust in an ever-present captain like this can expect walls to tumble down before him or her in times of stress. Or how about in times of sleeplessness? In ti- anyone? <laughs> times of sleeplessness. Pounding? You ever pounding when you're supposed to be sleeping? Anxiety about swarming problems makes us hear the rhythmic drumbeats in the head. Just can't sleep. I, I have, we have a little, little grandson, Remmer. He's issues with sleeping now. Why? Can't sleep by myself. I, I have, in fact, this memorized in the NIV, because when I was really young as a Christian, this is one of the early verses that I read. Uh, Psalm 3, I lie down and sleep, remember? I wake again. I shall not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Or Psalm 4, in peace do I lie down in comfort, for you, O Lord, do make me to dwell in safety. How do I know these? Because when I was little like a Christian, like your age, when I was, though I learned them then because I had a hard time sleeping at times. And so I'm not sleeping alone. When I, when I close my eyes, God takes the night watch. Jesus takes the night watch. He, I can sleep. He sits. In fact, I told Remmer just yesterday, Remmer, because he said, Papa, I slept all by myself for an afternoon nap, but I'm not going to sleep by myself at night. I said, Remmer, you're never by yourself. Because Jesus is always sitting by your bedside. He turns a chair backwards. He sits and he counts the hairs on your head while you're sleeping. You're never alone. You're right, Remember, You're never going to sleep alone at night. Bank on this for us when we sleep. You know, this is such a cushion when our boat of life is passing through the fiercest storms. We can imitate our Lord Jesus who in that fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee, he was on that cushion. He was sleeping We're to imitate him through stuff like that because we can sleep. He's always at the helm taking the night watch and we can rest even amidst hurricanes and pounding drums when we can't sleep. Insomnia. Or how about lastly, how about the hour of death? The hour of death. What what could be a more threatening moment? You ever have someone give you a diagnosis And you wonder, oh, this is it. I've been in God's waiting room. And then the door opened and the nurse says, it's time. It's time for me to go to be standing before the Lord. Or how about the doctor hovering over your hospital bed? He's got a deeply concerned face. I saw my mom die about two, three years ago. and, And 
She knew she was going to die laying on that bed there. And I've tried to rehearse this for myself. What about me? The doctor wraps up the stethoscope and says, I'm afraid there's nothing more we can do because by all indications, the hour of death is near. Near, so near. In fact, there was a man, his name was Joe. And Joe was a guy in our neighborhood. He was a Roman Catholic guy. He got my, one of my, my dad's best friend. He got saved. And then, and then the last time I saw Joe Beyond, it was probably 20 years ago. But then I saw him about four months ago on a Friday. And I talked to him because I heard he had cancer. And I went and visited him. And Steve, Joe's son, was there. We talked to reminisced. And like that. 48 hours later, Joe was dead. And I think of, do you know how fast those 20 years went? So, so how old am I now? <laughs> you know how fast it's going to be when I'm there at that point where the, the, waiting, door, the waiting room door opens for, for you, for me. You, you think you're really young. It's going to go like that, whether it's an automobile accident or 25 years just go in an instant. The point is, we should all rehearse right now that moment when we realize we are going to die. Just think in that moment when we tremble and hear those drumbeats of standing before God in judgment. What a blessed consolation it is that the angel of the Lord hovers around my soul at that moment. I have this old book. It's entitled Thoughts in the Prospect of Death. And it's, it's, it's written by a man who, who talks about how when he was given that diagnosis... And he was told he would, be, he would die shortly because of the condition that he has. Now we think, oh, I'm a Christian and so I hear that and I, I have no fear at all. Well, okay, you read Pilgrim's Progress and there was, we find Faithful who when he, no, it wasn't Faithful, it was Hopeful. Hopeful dies and he walks through the river of death. It's ankle deep. There are no concerns at all. But Christian, on the other hand, remember when he walked through the river of death, what happened? He was drowning. He didn't have all this assurance. I'm just preparing you for that time, that moment. When, and I wonder if that's going to be, will I be filled with boldness or will I be afraid and terrified and trembling, hearing drumbeats, drumbeats, pounding, pounding. Oh, what's going to happen? This is a very godly man. And listen to what he wrote. He says this. At the moment when I heard that I would soon die, He says, it appeared to me strange that that death of which I had heard only by report should now at last have seized me. He's so candid here, he says, it was so sudden that I had no time to collect or compose my mind by those views which are contained in the gospel. And my first impression was great alarm, a total breaking down of my whole mind, so that I seemed to myself to be hell-bound in despair. My first feeling was therefore flight rather than to seize the defensive armor of the gospel, to escape from the terrible assault that sore enemy of death was bringing me. When the fear clouds passed away then, I recollect well how vast the work of Christ appeared in my own eyes. He felt like he was, he was like a pilot falling from his plane, going down, down, down. He would split the sea, split hell wide open, plunge himself into judgment, doomed. But look what he says here. 
It says, when that fearful cloud passed away, I recollected well how vast the work of Christ appeared in my eyes below me. It seemed to be an impossible thing that I could perish or drown. And the gospel salvation appeared to me like a great continent stretching out as far as my eyes could see, ready to receive me. That I would not split hell wide open, but I would fall in the gospel as a parachute, and I wouldn't end in, land in enemy territory, but I would land in this vast continent, and I can see the tents of my friends and protectors, the captain of the Lord of hosts, and the all around me, and surely... Surely it is well with my soul. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us, his rod and staff, they comfort us. I knew, I know in whom I have believed and trusted, he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. The angel of the Lord will be for me, there at his right hand of the majesty on high, when I give an account to the judge of all the earth, holy, 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 he will stand and say, The devil will say, he's mine. He sold his soul to me. And he will stand up and say, is this man not a burning stick snatched from the fire? And I'll be robed in righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is so helpful in the hour of death. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. But you know what? I'd be really naive to think that a group this size has everybody who's a Christian here. Because there are some who, who don't fear the Lord. There are some here in all probability who, who sit here and, and aren't, aren't even resonating with any of this. Some here who may be like a Saul, appearing to be an Israelite, but not really one in heart. Young. Listen, listen. What I'm saying to you, like, like I say, little Remmer. Remmer's about your age. And I say, Teddy, Remmer. Believe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's only with you as your friend if you repent of your sins and believe in him. How about that? How about, how about July 30, 2023 be the day when you believe for the first time? And I don't care if it's the first time, the 10,000 the first time. You believe in the Lord Jesus and he will be your forever friend ever camping around your soul. And the day that you die, he will be there for you. May God have mercy on us all. Let's pray together. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would not return void. In your name, amen.